MSW Media. Today's episode is brought to you by Jiminy's, maker of sustainable dog food treats made with cricket protein that's better for the environment, using less land and water to produce. Cricket protein is a superfood that's delicious, nutritious, and easy to digest for dogs. Save 25% on your first purchase. Go to Jiminy's.com slash DailyBeans25 and use code DailyBeans25 at checkout. And today's show is brought to you by my favorite daily nutritional drink, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We thank them for their support. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, May 2nd, 2022. Today, a New York judge denied Donald's request to end his $10,000 a day contempt fine. New Hannity texts to Meadows are leaked. The Justice Department has officially challenged Alabama's law criminalizing transgender health care for minors. Trump allies illegally breached voting systems in eight states. And Eastman will hand over another 10,000 pages of evidence to the 1-6 committee. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Hi, everyone. I was misinformed. I'm so sorry. Dana will be back with us in a couple of days. I'll be manning the helm, I guess, so to speak, until then. And later in the show, I will be talking extensively with Hugo Lowell of The Guardian about the committee's upcoming hearings beginning on June 9th. So look forward to that interview. We do have a lot of news from over the weekend to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. From our friend Adam Klasfeld at Law and Crime. Former President Trump failed to shake off a contempt order, fining him $10,000 a day for flouting New York Attorney General Letitia James's subpoena. The Manhattan judge presiding over the case found Trump's affirmation of compliance insufficient. (laughs) This court, quote, finds that Mr. Trump has not yet purged his contempt. That's Manhattan Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engeron in a two-page order filed on Friday. Quote, the affirmations submitted by counsel for Mr. Trump are insufficient in that they fail to specify who searched for each respective request, at what time, where, and using what search protocols. It is not sufficient simply to attach a list of people who participated in the searches. Moreover, the affirmations submitted by counsel also fail to affirm that the subject electronic devices were imaged and searched and with what search terms. Now, since the judge issued his written order on Tuesday, The $10,000 per day penalty has been lapsing, and Trump tried to cure it on Wednesday by submitting two affirmations, one by the former president and another from his lawyer. On Friday, the attorney general's office was not satisfied and opposed lifting the contempt order, and Judge Engeron held a virtual hearing on the matter earlier on Friday and reached the same conclusion, formalizing his findings in a written ruling. Quote, furthermore, Mr. Trump's personal affidavit is completely devoid of any useful detail, he wrote. Notably, it fails to state where he kept his files, how his files were stored in the regular course of business, who had access to such files, what, if any, the retention policy was for such files, and importantly, where he believes such files are currently located. It similarly fails to state if he turned over his personal electronic devices for imaging and searching. Engeron ordered the submission of a so-called Jackson affidavit, swearing to those details. The precedent for such an order came from a case captioned, 
Jackson v. City of New York, a 1992 state appellate ruling mandating such a detailed affidavit. Donald now owes $40,000 and counting. Also, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Fox's Sean Hannity exchanged more than 80 text messages, 82 to be exact, between Election Day and Inauguration Day. Communications that show Hannity's evolution from staunch supporter of Trump's election lies to being fed up with the lunatics hurting Trump's cause in the days before January 6th. The texts also show the two men debating Trump's strategy to challenge the election, complaining about Fox, and plotting about what to do after Trump left office, including possibly working together. Quote, you also need to spend at least half your time doing business with us. That's what Hannity texted to Meadows on December 12th. And I'm serious, he said. Did you ever talk to Fox? I've been at war with them. And then Meadows replies, I agree, we can make a powerful team. I did not talk with Fox News CEO Suzanne Scott because I got tied up with pardons. (laughs) But I will make sure to connect. You are a true patriot, and I'm so very proud of you. Your friendship means a great deal to me. And then Hannity replied, feeling is mutual. While Hannity did not respond to CNN's invitation to comment on his text exchanges with Meadows, he appears to address the matter Friday night on his Fox show on Fox News. Quote, I'm on the Fox News channel, which is a news channel, but I don't claim to be a journalist. I claim to be a talk show host, but I can produce thousands of hours of straight news, thousands of hours of investigative reporting. I'm upfront about who I am. I am registered a conservative. Yes, I voted for Donald Trump. I make no apologies. I give my opinion straightforward, unquote. Meadows and his lawyer did not respond to CNN, but according to Friday night court filing, Meadows maintains that his texts, quote, are devoid of any evidence that Mr. Meadows had any knowledge of, let alone any role whatsoever in the untoward events at the Capitol. The filing also states that the January 6th committee has used the texts Meadows has already handed over, quote, to vilify him publicly through the media. Ah, yes, we used your own words to vilify you. Mm hmm. Now, next up from Reuters, and this is disturbing, investigative reporters Alexandra Ulmer and Nathan Lane write, that the 18 months after Trump lost the White House, at 18 months later, loyal supporters continue to falsely assert that compromised balloting machines across America robbed him of the 2020 election. To stand up that bogus claim, some Trump diehards are taking the law into their own hands by attempting, with some success, to compromise the voting systems themselves. Previously unreported surveillance video captured one such effort in August in the rural Colorado town of Kiowa. Footage obtained by Reuters through a public records request shows Elbert County Clerk Dallas Schroeder, the county's top election official, fiddling with cables and typing on his phone as he copied computer drives containing sensitive voting information. Schroeder, a Republican, later testified he was receiving instructions on how to copy the system's data from a retired Air Force colonel and political activist bent on proving Trump lost because of fraud. That day, August 26th, Schroeder made, quote, a forensic image of everything on the election server. That's according to his own testimony, and later gave the cloned hard drives to two lawyers. Schroeder is now under investigation for possible violation of election laws by the Colorado Secretary of State, which has also sued him, seeking the return of the data. Schroeder is defying that state demand and has refused to identify one of the lawyers who took possession of the hard drives. The other is a private attorney who works with an activist backed by pillow man Mike Lindell. Now, the episode, this one, is among eight known attempts to gain unauthorized access to voting systems in five U.S. states since the election. All involved local Republican officeholders or party activists who have advanced Trump's stolen election falsehoods, the big lie, and conspiracy theories about rigged voting machines. 
The incidents include a North Carolina case first opened last week by Reuters in which a local Republican Party leader threatened to get a top county election official fired or have her pay cut if she didn't give him unauthorized access to voting equipment. In southern Michigan, a pro-Trump clerk who has expressed support for the QAnon conspiracy theory on social media defied state orders to perform maintenance on a voting machine on the unfounded belief that doing so could erase proof of alleged fraud. In another Michigan case, a Republican activist impersonated an official from a made-up government agency in a plot to seize voting equipment. Some of the people and groups involved in the vigilante election investigator movement are drawing financial support from Lindell, of course, the pillow man, and he's one of the most visible backers of Trump's false fraud claims. The incidents examined by Reuters all took place in states that have been competitive in recent elections. Two occurred in Colorado, three in Michigan, and one each in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. At least five of the cases are under investigation by local or federal law enforcement, with three arrests and one conviction, according to state and local officials. Four of the breaches forced election officials to decertify or replace voting equipment that was no longer secure. And the Justice Department filed a lawsuit Friday challenging a new Alabama law that criminalizes medical care, certain medical care for transgender children, marking the first time the agency has sued a state over restrictions on gender-affirming care. The complaint, filed in U.S. District Court in Alabama, asks the court to block the law from taking effect, arguing it violates the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause by discriminating on the basis of sex and transgender status. The Alabama law, quote, would force parents of transgender minors, medical professionals, and others to choose between foregoing medically necessary procedures and treatments or facing criminal prosecution, unquote. Governor Kay Ivey, a Republican, signed the GOP-backed bill into law this month, making it a felony for parents and medical professionals to engage in or cause gender-affirming medical care to minors in the state, including puberty blockers, hormones, and surgery. In a statement, Ivy said she signed the bill because she believes that, quote, if the good Lord made you a boy, you are a boy. If he made you a girl, you are a girl. Quote, we should especially protect our children from these radical, life-altering drugs and surgeries when they are at such vulnerable stages in life. That was Kay Ivy. She also enacted a bill that would prohibit transgender students from using school facilities divided by sex that align with their gender identities. Now, up next, attorney John Eastman, key architect of the former guy's legal effort to overturn the 2020 election, key architect of the coup, is preparing to provide another 10,000 pages of records to the January 6th Select Committee. That's according to his attorney, revealing that to the courts on Friday. It's the latest breakthrough for congressional investigators in their ongoing fight to obtain details of Trump's last-ditch plans to overturn his election loss. Eastman had claimed attorney-client privilege over 37,000 pages of post-election emails related to his work for Trump, but under pressure from U.S. District Court Judge David Carter, who ruled in March that Eastman and Trump, more likely than not, committed crimes, Eastman withdrew privilege claims for nearly a third of it. In Friday's court filing, Eastman's lawyers indicated the select committee now wants more time to consider how to handle the remaining 27,000 pages of records that remain in dispute. Carter has asked Eastman to produce a log of all the emails that remain contested, but Eastman is now asking Carter for a brief reprieve while the select committee reviews the new documents and determines how to proceed. The committee's legal fight to obtain Eastman's records, all originally housed by his former employer, Chapman University, by the way, has been a top priority for the panel which is fending off dozens of lawsuits from witnesses to Trump's conduct in the aftermath of the election, because they're innocent, right? The panel has used the Eastman lawsuit, as well as litigation against former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows, to reveal broad swaths of the evidence that it has obtained, showing Trump ignored overwhelming legal advice that he had been defeated. 
Their evidence also shows that Trump sat by on January 6th as the mob of his supporters ransacked, attacked the Capitol, that by force trying to stop the peaceful transfer of power, we just waited hours and continued to press allies to block now President Joe Biden's victory, even as he watched the violence unfold on television. Earlier this year, the committee subpoenaed Chapman University for all of the emails sent between November 3rd and January 20th. And that's accounting for 90,000 pages. As we know, Eastman sued the committee and Chapman in January to prevent the school from sharing his emails. Carter then ordered Eastman to review all of them and identify those he considered privileged. In March, Carter issued a blockbuster ruling declaring Trump and Eastman more likely than not committed a criminal conspiracy to obstruct the transition of power from Trump to Biden. And he ordered Eastman to produce a key subset of emails to the select committee, totaling a few hundred pages. As we know, 101 emails went that way. But the remaining dispute over emails is much broader and could take weeks to resolve. Eastman is now asking Carter to permit him to demand more information from the select committee and from Chapman before making a ruling on the remaining 27,000 pages. He argues that Carter's earlier ruling failed to account for evidence that many of Trump's aides had convinced him the election fraud took place and that Trump genuinely believed it. He cited testimony from former acting attorney general Jeff Rosen referencing that some of Trump's advisors had pushed claims of election fraud even as the Justice Department had swatted them down. Eastman is asking Carter for at least two weeks to prepare legal arguments to maintain his claim of attorney-client privilege, with another several weeks for he and the select committee to submit subsequent legal briefs. That timeline could push the resolution of the fight into June or July. And with the news that the committee hearings will begin in June, June 9th, will there be enough time to get the rest of what they need from the likes of Eastman or Meadows and potential testimony from members of Congress? They're going to resend those letters. I'll discuss that and other committee news with Hugo Lowell right after this break. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for the Beans, and today's show is brought to you by AG, Athletic Greens, specializing in convenient daily nutrition. As you know, life gets hectic, our schedules can be very difficult, and that can make it hard to stay healthy and get the nutrients you need. As you know, I'm paleo and an intermittent faster, and I have a pretty busy schedule, so I have a lot of gaps in my nutrition, but thankfully... Athletic Greens make, makes things easier. One scoop of AG1 from Athletic Greens provides complete daily nutrition. AG1 contains multivitamins, multiminerals, a probiotic, a green superfood blend, 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food ingredients in all. I feel energized and productive during the day when I take AG1 first thing in the morning right before I go to the gym. The bioavailable ingredients in AG1 provide comprehensive nutrition, and it's an ideal alternative to multiple pills and supplements. I used to have a cabinet full of vitamins and probiotics and a superfood blend. But now it's all in one delicious scoop of AG1. And it's a really easy habit to pick up. And it fits a variety of lifestyles, including keto, paleo, vegan, gluten-free, dairy-free. And it contains less than one gram of sugar. It has no GMOs whatsoever, no chemicals, no artificial anything. And like I said, AG1 tastes delicious. I love that Athletic Greens keeps their research current as well. AG1 has been improved 53 times in the last decade as a result of science and the latest research. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. You'll be glad you did. Everybody, welcome back. Today we are joined by Hugo Lowell from The Guardian, who was at the Correspondents' Dinner last night. I missed it, but you went. How was it, Hugo? 
it was it was crazy the pre-parties and the post-parties it was like it was like a zoo to be honest uh but it was very funny and i think trevor Noah did a great job and the president did a great job so i'm, I'm glad I, I was able to go yeah, I think one of my favorite lines was when he said, uh, if you have any questions about your <laughs> COVID vaccination, the Fox News team is here, all vaxxed and boosted. I thought that was I thought that was really good. Well, even better, good. even better when um, he, he was like, when if I say something nasty about Kellyanne Conway, George Conway might come and thank me. George Conway was in the audience, right? And I sort of, you know, <laughs> lead up the weekend, so it was fine. <laughs> nice, nice. And uh, oddly enough, there were some committee members there who you didn't think you were able to chase them down. But I want to talk about the committee with you because, you know, you've been putting out some really great pieces in The Guardian about this. And particularly, I think you were one of the first people on top of the news that the hearings were going to start on June 9th. But they still have some people left that they probably want to talk to, including some GOP members that, you know, they had already asked him once, but apparently they've gotten more evidence about some of the goings on with these GOP members. And how do you think they'll be able to even get some of these GOP members to come in and speak to them? So they're sending letters, right? And yes, we've been here before. So they, they're going to send letters to McCarthy. They're going to send letters to Jim Jordan and send a letter to uh, Scott Perry. You know, these people um, were targets of the investigation back in January and they're still targets now. And so the, the committee is going to send new letters in light of the recent kind of public reporting about how McCarthy was, you know, telling his his Republican leadership that, well, you know, Trump should resign. And he had been told that, um, or Trump, Trump admitted that he bore some responsibility for the capital tax. So the committee are very focused on this. But, right, the other... The other new revelations are that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene um, were in constant communication with the White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. And now that that is out in the public, and it's not clear to me if it was a strategic leak or they're kind of now playing the game that now it's out there. Okay, now's the time to move on this. But uh, there is a sense, I think, on the committee that the time is right to go after these Republican members of Congress because there is public pressure on them. There is public outrage surrounding their activities. And if they move now, uh, maybe they have the best chance of securing their cooperation. So a lot of these uh, potential letters are also going to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Mo Brooks. It hasn't been confirmed yet. They haven't been signed yet. But um, that was the understanding um, as of Friday. Yeah. And and possibly the best chance. I still think a very slim chance. I mean, you know, since all these tapes came out about McCarthy, he still went into a caucus meeting and got a standing ovation. I think he still has resounding support from his caucus. I wish the Democrats were like that. <laughs> I wish I wish when one of us, you know, I wish we all had just supported each other no matter how what happened. But, you know, I, I still don't see Marjorie Taylor Greene. Just her. She's just she's so seems so defiant. I don't think any of these folks care what's coming out about them. But, you know, who knows? Uh, we'll see. But I, I also don't want people to get too discouraged if these members don't agree to testify, because if if they aren't going to be a good witness, you don't right. want them screwing right. up your presentation anyway. Or trying to learn details about the investigation through the questioning from the council and then putting it out there, being like, oh, the committee's doing this, the committee's doing that, you know, trying to derail the investigation that way. So, Right. Yeah. And, and of course, they also are putting through an expedited hearing schedule for summary judgment in the Mark Meadows case that the January 6th committee is to try to speed speed that along as well. Because, you know, this thing has been sort of pushed back, which is fine with me. For me, the closer to the midterms, the better. I don't care because the, the committee's only job here is to get this out to the yeah. public. And, you know, whether they don't really need to make criminal referrals at this point because the, the Department of Justice is already investigating all levels of the coup. 
But I think that the Meadows thing is really, really important. He seems to be the linchpin to this whole entire thing, either that or that little bit of Pence testimony about that phone call, that final phone call that we only have testimony of for one side of. Right. And and it doesn't look like at this point, at least, that Pence is going to come in and talk about it. That seems to be off the table now. But I don't know how much insight you get. Like, even if Pence did come in and give you a kind of a readout of that call, like, I don't know how useful that may or may not, you know, may be, right? So that I can understand if you're not going to pursue all the way. But Meadows, you know, if you look at the exhibits in the Meadows, Meadows case, with Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony about how, you know, Meadows was warned about all of these things um, happening at the Capitol on January 6th. He was kind of he was warned by the Secret Service, uh, a, well, Trump's former lead Secret Service agent, Tony Ornato, who then went and accepted the uh, position as deputy chief of staff for operations. And uh, my reporting suggests that Stephanie Grisham actually pointed the committee towards Ornato and the operations side of it and how that all kind of dovetails with what Meadows uh, was doing coordinating with rally organizers who were in touch with the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. So it does certainly seem like Meadows is one of these people who has a tremendous amount of information like on the operational side, beyond the kind of political stuff with like Giuliani, Eastman and Bannon. He does seem to have a tremendous amount of information about kind of how the militia groups came together and you know who was on that side of things. Because there's, you know, there are two distinct or even more columns of scheming going on, and he does seem to have the uh, knowledge of the kind of the overarching knowledge of all these schemes. Yeah, and but you know there are a lot of cooperating witnesses, like folks like Stephanie Grisham, and there's a lot of infighting in the party, and there's you know a lot of quote unquote betrayal, and so yeah, I think that probably the most important thing here is the Meadows documents. I mean, if he flips and turns into a John Dean, then great, we don't have to worry about it. I don't see that happening. But, you know, he could be the fall guy if, if he doesn't. But, we, you know, again, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with the Department of Justice as far as that goes. But there are so many, like 900 witnesses, not all 900, you know, in proximity to Meadows, but so many people who can put those pieces of the story together without Meadows' testimony, you know? Yeah. And, and look, I, 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 told, I, I said back in October that it, even if you don't get Meadows to testify and to cooperate fully, if you can get people like you know, Ben Williamson, his, his, his top aide, people like, as we found out, Cassidy Hutchinson, these people who know what, who might know what Meadows knows and then tells the committee, the committee might just get that information anyway. We don't know most of the people that have testified to the committee. Like the subpoenas are just like a sliver of the 800, 900 witnesses that the committee has talked to. Um, and, and most of these depositions, you know, and, and the people coming in, we have no idea who they're talking to, like, especially these virtual ones. Like, we had no idea Cassidy Hutchinson was talking to the committee. I mean, people, people, I think, like the, you know, knock the committee a little bit saying, uh, you know, they're not getting cooperation from all these big witnesses. But sometimes it's not the big witnesses you want. You know, it's the little people, the little people who, you know, Meadows might come out of a meeting and go, oh, my God, you know, Trump said this, Trump is going to plan that. And then they retain that information and then tell the committee. So it may well be that, you know, they don't, need Meadows or, you know, or Meadows' full cooperation himself, um, as long as they get the people around him. And, you know, this, this has always been discussed at the, at the member level, at least on the committee, uh, since the start of the investigation. Yeah. And his documents, which they could get in a summary judgment end of May. And, and this is the whole point, right? Like, it's like with Eastman's emails, like all these documents, these emails, like once you lose that court battle, and, you know, Eastman's already lost, 
it looks like Meadows may well lose. You know, you get those documents. You don't need Meadows to come in and give it give it to you. And once you have the documents, you know, in in many ways, that's stronger pieces of evidence than the testimony itself. Yeah, because they show you in black and white, right? Yeah, and this is court of public opinion and not court of law. You don't have to, you know, hearsay is okay. Yeah. circumstantial evidence is okay. Well, I mean, that's okay in, in a court of law too. But you you catch my drift. But yeah, and but the only thing that worries me a little bit is the potential explosive nature of the shit Meadows hid from the committee, given what he handed over. There's stuff he didn't hand over and he hid from the committee, along with those Eastman emails. And the committee's going to be like, you know, we got to get going here in five weeks. And if they get a, a dump on them in the first week of June of all the Meadows information that was hidden from the committee and initially, that that could be... They could be scrambling, trying to put together what they're going to do with that information. But, you know, hey, we will see what happens. Yeah, look, my source on the committee kind of tell me that they've already got a very, very good picture of the planning that went on into January 6th. I think that is going to be the main focus of this, right? Everyone knows that, you know, know, the, the mob and the militia groups attacked the Capitol. And everyone knows about the Eastman plan. Everyone knows that Giuliani was, you know, trying to... Well, power was trying to advocate martial law. Giuliani was trying to pull power away. And there's all these power games inside the kind of the Trump legal team. But a lot of the focus has not been on the other elements with like the rally organizers because it's difficult and it's difficult to untangle and their connections to the militia groups and, you know, DOJ. We actually learned more about that through the DOJ criminal investigation with people like Enrique Tario and um, Stuart Rhodes, the, the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys leader, Joshua James, who pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy and Brian Ulrich. Uh, was it yesterday? Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think all of these pieces are coming together now. But if they do, as you say, right, if they get all the, if they get a dump of Meadows text emails records at the start of next month, I, I mean, I, I don't know what they do with that. Did, did they push the hearings back a little bit? I don't know. I would much rather them get the material and push the hearings back rather than being like, no, we've committed to a June 9 you know, date and, you know, we're going to go ahead and we're going to, we're not going to talk about the, the Meadows stuff that we got until the report, because that would be kind of, I think, counterproductive. But Yeah. Or maybe just add a hearing or scrap one of them and plug in the other one when it comes later. That's a good point. I will say, so the committee, so, so Benny Thompson, when he came out of votes the other day, told reporters that there would be at least eight. So there could be more. And they have left themselves a big gap between June and September when they plan to issue their final report, they're telling witnesses at least that they want to issue their final report in September with a big blockbuster hearing. So already we're actually technically at, um, I think, nine. I don't know what the, 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 the composition of that final hearing would be, if it's just going to be like a presentation of the report kind of thing. But they have built in a, a fail-safe here. If they need more time, right. Yeah. If they need more time, they have it. If they want to schedule more hearings, they are able to do that. And so I think that gives us an indication that they think there might be more evidence coming down the pipelines. Yeah. And that's kind of what I would do is, is if I got those texts um, a, a couple of days and it might be even after the first hearing because it takes a, a minute for, you know, and there's appeals and, you know, problems mm-hmm. and people are dickheads. But, you know, if you finally get that stuff mid-June and then, you know, you say, hey, this is so explosive. We have to add a special hearing in July. Mm-hmm. And and then like maybe leak a little bit of it to keep people on the hook for it, you know, and, and be like, oh, my God, that's going to be big. And then, you know, maybe then just throw that all out there in a, a very special one six committee episode, you know, 
but yeah, we'll see what happens. It's it's we're not far off. We've also got the the Fonnie Willis just absolute circus in Atlanta and Fulton County, Georgia. Her grand jury is being seated. Things are um, well, they never really cooled down, but it feels like things are heating up. Yeah, and and I think it's especially on the DOJ side as well, right? I mean, Allison, you've been a big champion of uh, Garland, <laughs> um, and I think that it, it certainly sounds like that confidence was well placed because the grand jury investigations and the subpoenas to people like Ali Alexander, Alex Jones, really interesting. Like no one really saw that coming, I think. And then it came out of nowhere. And if you look at Ali Alexander's subpoena, it is expansive. You know, they want communications with all or any members of the legislative branch and the executive branch. That's almost more expansive than the select committee subpoena. Yeah. And that includes Trump, by the way. That is an investigation into the former president of the United States. Anyone who could have impeded or attempted to impede the peaceful transfer of power or the official proceeding and the counting of the electoral votes, anybody in the members of Congress, executive and legislative branch who did the same, anyone who organized the rallies, attended the rallies, VIPs who attended and organized the rallies, it's fucking everybody. That is everyone that had anything to do with anything that happened on January 6th or leading up to January 6th or any of the other previous rallies, which were dry runs, of course, for January 6th. But it's big. It's a big investigation. They've brought in some help. We'll see where it goes. I, I think I think thinking that something might happen before midterms is a little starry eyed. I think we might be looking at uh, end of year next year, but who knows? Yeah. And, and you know, if, if, if their whole plan, and it certainly seems like it at, at this moment, is to have the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers flip and talk about the people that they were getting directions from, then that could take a while. But it sounds like a very strong strategy insofar as the Proud Boys, and if you look at previous court cases and kind of previous indictments, have been the first to flip on both their other Proud Boy members and their leaders. Those court cases are being scheduled through kind of the spring 2023. So, you know, it may take time to extract from them the information that DOJ needs to construct a case. But if it's these militia groups, you know, squealing on the people that were at the Willard or political operatives connected to Trump, I can see how you will construct a seditious conspiracy case. Yeah, seditious conspiracy and... What a conspiracy to defraud the United States, obstructing an official proceeding. There's so many things to choose from. So many. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many to choose from. Uh, I think Wyndham is the guy's name now at the DC U.S. Attorney's Office, and of course our Matt Graves, who is there. So anyway, thank you so much for your time today. We're going to start seeing a lot of this stuff. I'm going to try to come out there, see if I can sneak into one of these hearings sometime in June. Yes, we will sneak you in. We will, we, will, we will sneak you. We will make sure that happens. (laughs) Thank you so much, and I know that you will keep us posted if something like a more solid schedule comes into view. You let us know. Yeah, so the House is on recess next week. I don't anticipate there being that much news next week, apart from maybe the the, the letters to the members of Congress. They're still trying to finalize a list, but definitely McCarthy, Jordan, Perry, and a number of other Re- House Republicans, and interestingly, Senate Republicans. I forgot to say this. Like, the fact that the committee is looking at Senate Republicans is a really big step because the House normally doesn't take any action with its Senate counterpart. And the Senate normally doesn't take any action with its House because House rules, Senate rules, they have their own jurisdiction. But the fact they're looking at the Senate is A, unprecedented, and B, I think shows you how much the mood has shifted on the committee and the members because I really do get the sense that they were really fed up with the response to McCarthy. So, 
we, we shall see. But I think it's a big development. Yeah, well, maybe just keep leaking dirt on him and maybe he'll get, <laughs> he'll get pushed into testifying, but we'll see. Thank you so much. Everybody check out The Guardian. Follow Hugo Lowell. You don't want to miss it. And we'll, we'll keep in touch as these hearings approach. Thank you so much. Thank you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hi, everybody. It's AG for The Beans. And today's show is sponsored by Jiminy's. Jiminy's sustainable dog food and treats are an excellent choice for dog owners who care about the environment and wish to reduce their dog's carbon footprint. Jiminy's is a low-carbon dog food that uses less water and land than traditional animal protein dog food. Compared to traditional animal protein treats, Jiminy's cricket protein treats save 220 gallons of water per bag. That's amazing. Plus, my dog absolutely loves them. Jiminy's includes tasty, nutritious, plant-based ingredients such as sweet potatoes, blueberries, peanut butter, and pumpkin. They're so good, you can train with them. That is how much Olive loves them. Jiminy's is easy for dogs to digest because cricket protein contains a fiber that's a prebiotic, which supports a healthy gut in your dog. Jiminy's is also good for dogs with food sensitivities or dogs with allergies. I'm excited to have switched to Jiminy's. I love that it also contains plant-based ingredients and has the same great different flavors that my dog just gobbles up immediately. I recommend getting Jiminy's for your dog today. To learn more and save 25% on your first purchase, go to Jiminy's.com slash DailyBeans25 and use code DailyBeans25 at checkout. That's Jiminy's, J-I-M-I-N-Y-S dot com slash DailyBeans25 and use code DailyBeans25 at checkout. You'll be glad you did. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is all the way. And if you have any good news or corrections or confessions or you want to play What the Mutt or Find the Cat, or you have misheard song lyrics, or you have baby pictures, or pod pet pictures, or photos of a, an animal from a local shelter that needs adoption, or whoopee stories, anything, you can send them in to me and Dana and Amy at dailybeanspod.com and just click on contact. And you know what would really help us out? If everyone listening on Apple Podcasts gave the beans a rating, give us a little review. Somehow we lost all of our reviews on January 1st. I'm still trying to figure that out. They mysteriously all disappeared, so we would really appreciate it. Helps us grow bigger than the right-wing shows that clog up the podcast charts. Help get the fascists off the charts. But leave just one review. We have some of you writing and saying that you're leaving a bunch. We appreciate your enthusiasm, but don't do that. One genuine review is good, <laughs> and they don't show up anyway. So first up, from Meg, pronouns she and her. Hey, y'all. It's the small victories. Oh, Meg, yes, it is. First attempts at homemade quiche. We'll look at better crust recipes for next time, but so proud of this. Spinach, tomato, and bacon quiche was delicious. Pick of the quiche, which transferred to a plate intact, and my doggos also. Love y'all, and I'm so grateful for this community. Oh my God, that looks so good. Those tomatoes look so yummy. And look at the doggo. Oh, they're one dog walking another dog. And it's a wiener dog. I'm all for that. Thank you so much, Meg, for that. Next up from Clayton, pronouns he and him. Correction. Oh, good. You have been pronouncing Tommy Tuberville's name incorrectly for a while. I've been debating whether or not to inform you. Because I am a Cincinnati Bearcats football fan, and he, in his short time as the head coach, nearly destroyed the entire program. Nevertheless, I thought you'd at least like to know how it's pronounced. The tub in Tuberville isn't pronounced tube, it's pronounced tub, like a bathtub. After a loss, he was heckled by a Cincinnati fan and yelled, he yelled at the fan, go to hell, get a job. You should check it out. It's a moment that lives in Bearcat sports infamy. 
Oh, wow. Go to hell, get a job. Tuberville. Nice. All right. Tuberville. Got it. Also, a year after he was fired after a loss, some friends of mine urinated all over a cardboard cutout of the now senator. He is the subject of many jokes among UC fans, but he truly disgusts me as a senator. Once more, Tommy Bath Tuberville, not tummy inflated inner tuberville. You're the goat. (laughs) Also, sorry for the rant, but he's not big on the whole civil servant thing. He complained about a possible stock ban because enriching himself is all he cares about. And he's one of the many congresspeople who trade on insider information. He stole from the University of Cincinnati in that he didn't try to win football games. He was just collecting a paycheck. The fans yell at him, you're stealing from this university. He hasn't changed. I, because I was taught not to hate, strongly dislike the man. Oh, fuck it. I hate that. (laughs) Thanks, Clayton, fellow Ohioan. Next up, David pronouns he and him. Hi, Beans Queens. I'm writing to request some good vibes. I had shoulder surgery a few weeks ago and then fell getting out of bed night of surgery, which has led to weeks in the hospital, three knee operations with one more to come. Weeks of rehab. Oh, David, I'm so sorry. I love the show and I listen daily. Keep up the good work. Everybody send your healing vibes to David right now. Do it. David, please take care and and we wish you a speedy recovery. Next up from Sally, pronoun she and her. AG, I hopped on the happy hour Zoom this evening a little too late to share with you my best good news. So I thought I would share it with you here. I finally truly belong. After almost 30 years of various visas, work permits and two green cards, I am finally a U.S. citizen. Sally, that's wonderful. To belong, this is what I've searched for my whole life. When you are the black sheep, or the only one who sees reality, in an abusive, toxic family, you spend your life feeling out of place until you find your healing journey. I attached a couple pics. The first pic is of me in 1994 at the age of 20. That's about the same age there, Sally. The beginning of my journey. I was spending my first summer in the U.S. teaching dance and drama to a bunch of awesome kids at summer camp in Connecticut. As a dance student in my second year of study, this job for the summer was my dream come true. Thousands of miles away from toxicity and doing what I loved, I felt free for the first time ever, and I felt like I belonged. This pick, I was with a dear friend, and we ducked into a cabin to get out of a rainstorm. Good times. Friday, I swore my oath to a country that provided me with an escape at first, and then a journey of building my own life on my own terms, thousands of miles away from the dysfunction that propelled me to leave the UK. I've broken the cycle. I've made a life I'm proud of with a precious family and friends of my own. The second pick is of my family. You've seen us before in Christmas pics I sent. I know my kids have great hair. (laughs) Anywho, you've inspired me to be a better human. I've already registered to vote, and now I'm going to run for local office. Unfortunately, I'll never be president. Onward and upward to the next happy hour. I'll be there on time. Much love, Sally. Look at this. Oh, weren't we just all, oh, I remember 20 years old. Oh, yes, the great hair family. <laughs> there you are. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Congratulations. Mm, that's so great. It must have felt so good to register to vote. I probably would have bawled my eyes out. Thank you so much for that. And then uh, I think this is our last one here. Uh, nope, we got two more. This one's for Matt, pronouns he and him. Longtime listener, first time writer, and I have great news. I just started my new job working as an immigration attorney. The pay and benefits are great. My commute is just 30 minutes, which is super short for New York City. And this culture is heavy on work-life balance. I never thought I wanted to do immigration law, and I had applied without thinking much of it. I almost didn't go to my first interview because I was unsure if this was the type of law I wanted to practice. But as soon as I met my now supervisor, everything clicked. 
I realized how my passions and experiences aligned with this work, and I immediately bonded with the team. This isn't typical cutthroat New York City law firm. that They pride themselves on the work they do while also making sure we all take mental health days, are flexible with WFH, and that we have time to support our families. I can feel it in my bones. This time is where I'm supposed to be, and it's truly night and day going from having to train myself in a toxic environment to actually being trained and supported in a positive environment. I wanted to share this news with you all because over the past few months, I've been hearing all the positive things happening to the Daily Beans community, and it's truly been inspiring me to keep going and stay positive. I'm hoping that maybe if someone hears this, they may see it as a sign they need to take a stand and no longer deal with toxicity, even if they don't have a plan. For the pet tax, I searched and found little Nova at the Animal Center in New York City. She reminds me of a puppy I had while growing up. I hope this will help her find a loving home. It is n-y-c-a-c-c dot a-p-p slash hashtag slash browse slash 138314. We'll put a link in the show notes. Unfortunately, my small apartment is pet-free. It's a pet-free building and it's not conducive. Otherwise, I would adopt her in a heartbeat. Just look at those eyes. Oh, what a sweet baby girl. Thank you for sharing that. All right, finally. Kevin in New Hampshire, pronouns he and him. Dear AG and fellow Leguminates, I am pleased to submit for your amusement and or horror a jazzed up lounge act version of the Daily Beans podcast theme song. I hope your friends from They Might Be Giants like it and agree you should play this version once in a while, perhaps on special occasions that warrant a more sleazy cigar and scotch type atmosphere. (laughs) Thank you so much, Kevin. And we are going to play a clip for that right now. Here, everybody take a listen. Absolutely amazing, Kevin. I appreciate you. That's wonderful. I will see what uh, They Might Be Giants have to say about it. I know they'll love it. Very Richard Cheese. Kevin, thank you again. And everyone, thank you for sending in your good news today. Please continue to do so at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I'll be back tomorrow. And until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health, and vote blue over Q. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>